to 1 Corinthians 15. I invite your attention with me now. 1 Corinthians 15, it's at page 961 in your pew Bibles. I've been preaching to you Easter sermons now for 20 years. So I had to ask myself last week, what can I possibly say about the resurrection this week that I haven't said to you before in the course of two decades? So I opened my Bible and turned to 1 Corinthians 15, this locus classicus on the uh, resurrection. I've preached to you from this chapter before. I've uh, I've preached a lot of things from this passage to you before, but then as I was considering it, it jumped out at me, having preached to you the fact of Christ's resurrection from the dead from this chapter, the necessity of the resurrection again from the dead because Christ rose for us, the manner of the resurrection from the dead. I think I've preached to you on that one, but uh, my pre resurrection mind is starting to fail me. Uh, but uh, I don't think I've ever preached to you a sermon on this particular point that we'll consider this morning, or at least I can't remember having done so. And if I have, you probably can't remember because your pre-resurrection minds don't uh, work so well these days, perhaps. So I think it's safe to proceed with verse 35 after we pray. Father in heaven, we pray for the hearts that we confessed a few moments ago we do not have or have not had this week. They have not burned within us at the hearing of your word. And in particular, with the hope of the resurrection from the dead. Grant us these things, we pray, as we go to your word now. In Jesus' name, amen. 1 Corinthians 15, we'll pick up at verse 35. But someone will ask, how are the dead raised? With what kind of body do they come? You foolish person, what you sow does not come to life unless it dies. And what you sow is not the body that is to be, but a bare kernel, perhaps of wheat or of some other grain. But God gives it a body as he has chosen, and to each kind of seed its own body. For not all flesh is the same, but there is one kind for humans, another for animals, another for birds, and another for fish. There are heavenly bodies and earthly bodies. But the glory of the heavenly one is of one kind, and the glory of the earthly is of another. There is one glory of the sun, and another glory of the moon, and another glory of the stars, for stars differ from star differs from star in glory. So it is with the resurrection of the dead. What is sown is perishable, what is raised is imperishable. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. 
If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. Thus it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being, and the last Adam became a life-giving spirit. But it is not the spiritual that is first, but the natural, and then the spiritual. The first man was from the earth, a man of dust. The second man is from heaven. As was the man of dust, so also are those who are of the dust. And as is the man of heaven, so also are those who are of heaven. Just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven. I tell you this, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the, imperish does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed. For this perishable body must put on the imperishable, and this mortal body must put on immortality. When the perishable puts on the imperishable, and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O oh, death, where is your victory? O oh, death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of the sin is the law. But thanks be to God, who gives us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. First thing Thursday morning, I rolled over in bed and without opening my eyes, I knew, I just knew, I could feel it, sense it. Having turned my head toward the window, I carefully opened one eye to check the slit of light along the shade by the window, either to console or to confirm my fear, and it was confirmed. The entire room was spinning, spinning and jerking violently like some terrible playground merry-go-round or carnival tilt-a-whirl. Only I couldn't get off and I couldn't stop it. It was not outside of me, you see, it was inside of me. Some of you know that I occasionally suffer from bouts of debilitating dizziness. Thankfully, I've only missed one worship service in these past two decades for it, an evening service many years ago, and I'm even more thankful to the Lord that eventually, after a while, the spells do end, and I'm able finally to get to work, though they leave me thoroughly exhausted and drenched. That was Thursday. 
Two days previously, on Tuesday, I decided the direction of today's sermon. The day before, Wednesday, it had been chiseled in stone, or at least in cyberstone, because you see I had emailed it to Karen, and once you do that, there's no turning back. <laughs> now the topic of the sermon this Thursday morning was confirmed in spades to me in God's providence. I long for the resurrection of the dead. I long for the day when I will rise from the grave to meet Jesus or else while I'm walking along the road or perhaps awakened from my sleep when he comes again that day to be dizzied only by the splendor of his glory. I long for that day because on that day I will be transformed head to toe and so will you. My brothers and sisters, all of you who are in Christ will be transformed this way. Never again will I be debilitated by dizziness. Never again will I wonder how long I will be unable to walk even five feet to the bathroom without either gripping the wall or falling to my face on the floor. No more. I will forever be done with dizzy spells. I will forever be done with all of these things. And so will you. Physically and spiritually, they will be done. I tell you, I'm grateful for that Thursday morning episode. I'm grateful for it, minor as it was, and it was minor compared to what I know many of you are suffering. Going through every day, all day long. Grateful, I say, because it propelled me with a particular urgency to the word and into the future to bring back with me this morning as much hope as I could gather and carry with me back to you, which is, after all, my errand as your minister, to gather intelligence from heaven and to bring it back and report it to you. 1 Corinthians 15 is not the only biblical portal through which we may peer into this glorious future to come, to be sure, but it is the most perspicuous, the clearest, that is the most comprehensive view of our lives as they shall be lived, and our bodies as they shall look and behave after the resurrection of the dead. I'm assuming, of course, at this point, that you already believe in the resurrection of the dead, I'm assuming that you believe that Jesus rose from the dead, which is what we celebrate every Lord's Day, particularly on this Easter Sunday, that you believe that he rose not only spiritually, but that he rose bodily from the grave at his resurrection, as the scripture teaches us, and that in doing so, he is but the first fruits of the resurrection who will raise us, our bodies, from the dust that just as he rose from the dead and precisely because he rose from the grave, we will rise too. Or that if Jesus comes before your death, while you're still alive, you will be transformed in that moment. That you will be changed in the twinkling of an eye. That fast. I'm assuming you believe those things. So I'm free to move ahead and ask this. What shall we be like? 
What shall we be like when we rise from the grave or are instantly transformed at the trumpet sound between the falling of one foot and before the next foot hits the sidewalk as we're walking our way along on the sidewalk or the grocery store aisle? Or to ask in terms of our text, verse 35, with what kind of body will we come? That's what we're after today. What kind of body? What will we be like? The simple answer to that question is that we'll be like the risen Christ. We will be like the risen Christ. To quote another of Paul's letters, his letter to the Philippians, he will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body. Or, as John the Apostle says it quite simply, we shall be like him. But inquiring minds want to know, right? Want to know more. When God completes our redemption, this wonderful gift of his grace, won for us at the cross, what will we be like? What will our bodies be like? Will we be merely patched up versions of this current self? Will we be anything at all? like ourselves. We've been transformed, haven't we, by God's grace inwardly, by regeneration, that is, by new birth. We've been transformed inwardly by sanctification, being made holy, being made more and more holy by God's grace and spirit in us. But what of the outward transformation? What of that? I love the way J.I. Packer puts it. And it's from him that I've shamelessly taken the title of this morning's sermon. The Rolls-Royce Resurrection, I've called it. Here's Pecker. My present body, brother ass, as Francis of Assisi would have me call it, is like a student's old jalopy. Care for it as I will, it goes precariously and never very well and often lets me down and my master down. Very frustrating. But my new body will feel and behave like a Rolls Royce. You children know what a Rolls Royce is, right? <laughs> a wonderfully fancy, beautiful car. And then my service will no longer be spoiled. No doubt, he continues, like me, you love your body because it's part of you and get mad at it because of the way it limits you. So we should. And it's good to know that God's aim in giving us second-rate physical frames here is to prepare us for managing better bodies hereafter. As C.S. Lewis says somewhere, they give you unimpressive horses to learn to ride on. And only when you are ready for it are you allowed an animal that will gallop and jump. Is your appetite wedded? Do you want to know more? I know I do. Paul gives us a glimpse in four comparisons here between our bodies as they exist now and as they shall exist at the resurrection. 
having compared our eventual burial in the ground and the earth uh, to sowing a seed that springs up from the ground as a plant, he contrasts our bodies before and after the resurrection of the dead in four ways, beginning in verse 42. What is sown is perishable, what is raised is imperishable. What is sown in dishonor is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness and raised in power. It is sown a natural body and raised a spiritual body. Look with me for a moment at those four. Imperishable, glorious, powerful, spiritual. First, our bodies at the resurrection will be imperishable. And that our bodies will be imperishable is only right, of course, because as another apostle, the apostle Paul, Peter rather, says, we will have an inheritance that is imperishable, that will never perish. We, have imperishable, we will have imperishable bodies to enjoy imperishable treasure and blessing and inheritance. Right now, our bodies are perishable, aren't they? Entirely perishable. They're, they're present to corruption presently. Change and decay and all around I see. We sing oftentimes in our evening worship. And nowhere do we see that change and that decay more clearly than in the morning mirror in our bodies. At the doctor's office and in the dentist's chair, we see it visibly in x-rays and CAT scans and PET scans and whatever the other kind of scan is called. These seeds of disease and death in us, they lead us to the inexorable conclusion that it's only a matter of time before this dies. But when we rise, my brothers and sisters, when we rise or are transformed at the coming of our Lord for us, either one, we will be imperishable, we will be incorruptible, no longer susceptible to disease, no longer subject to death. Just think of this, think for a minute. No more diabetes, no more arthritis, no more osteoporosis, no more multiple sclerosis, no more lupus, no more HIV, no more HPV, epilepsy, meningitis, hepatitis, heart disease, high blood pressure, cancer will be no more. You will be disease free forever and ever and evermore. My, my, what will our physicians and undertakers have to do then? Well, I suppose they'll have to find a new fulfilling career on the new earth. Second, our bodies at the resurrection will be glorious. What must that mean? We'll have glorious bodies. Will they glow? I wonder, glow with glory? The contrast in verse 43 is between dishonor and glory. 
Now, think about how we sow our seeds, how we bury our dead, our loved ones. We try very hard to make it as glorious as we can, don't we? We dress him in his best clothes. We surround her with beautiful flowers and a lovely casket. We even apply makeup to help them to look as glorious as possible. And all of that is exactly right, by the way. That is Christian, biblical instinct. One of the things that distinguishes us as Christians is our treatment of the dead that we tenderly bury, not burn them. This sets us apart from the pagans. It is our witness, it is our living witness to the resurrection of the body, the resurrection of the dead. But some missionary friends of ours in Serbia, the Baldwins, recently sent us pictures of a typical funeral there. The body lay in a casket, to be sure, but it was a very simple wooden, wooden box, gray and bluish hues the body had. The mouth in the picture from this funeral of, the, of this person in his casket was agape, just as it had been at the moment of his death, his eyelids closed by coins keeping them closed. There was no attempt in that land in Serbia to, to um, mask the dishonor of death. Death does steal our honor, doesn't it? It undoes our pretensions to honor, particularly as we're lowered into the ground, cold and buried like seed, to use Paul's analogy. But when we who are in Christ arise from the dead, it will be just the opposite. It's hard to know exactly how that glory will be evidenced visibly, but it will. Somehow we will know. C.S. Lewis takes a stab at it, at describing our transformed bodies in his work, Mere Christianity. He says they will, they will be dazzling radiant, an immortal creature pulsating all through with such energy and joy and wisdom and love as we cannot now imagine. A bright stainless mirror that reflects back to God perfectly, though of course on a smaller scale, his own boundless power and delight and goodness. Third, our bodies at the resurrection will be powerful. We're weak now, aren't we? We're very weak. Then we will be strong. A few hours of work tires us out in this life, doesn't it? Even if we're unconscious of how tired we are, we most certainly are nonetheless, aren't we? And those of us who are entering our middle years are learning, aren't we, what our elders have long known before us, just how weak we really are in body and in mind. 
and ever increasingly so with the years. And those of you who have spent any time at all at the deathbed of a loved one know just how weak we are at death. Totally helpless. But we will be raised powerful. Powerful creatures, indeed. What will that power look like? I don't know. <laughs> I'm sorry to say that there is so much more we don't know about life after the resurrection than we do. No truer word ever came from Paul's pen than earlier in this same letter that no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no, nor heart of man imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. Take some time this afternoon, my brothers and sisters, and let your sanctified, Bible-informed imaginations take flight. And think about what it will be like in the new earth with our new bodies. Amen.